This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And this is Grassroots Marketing on CannabisRia.com. We're here with a guest who's uh, very outspoken. And the fact is, he is a business owner, by the way. Uh, his company, they create high-quality borough silicate glass since 2004. They are advocates for the cannabis community, culture, and causes. And here with me right now is the CEO of Grav, G-R-A-V, Brandon Miranda, here on Grassroots Marketing. Thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. And so, socially conscious. The idea is there's a number of issues that you've been very vocal on and you've made a point to talk about. So I want to go ahead and bring that up to you. Starting off with, well, first of all, when I was pitched about the program, you had made mention of this. Uh, when President Biden last month, uh, back in October, offered to pardon those uh, with federal marijuana possession convictions, we know what that was was very symbolic. We've talked about that extensively here on the program and on Blunt Business. And that because of that, cannabis companies like Tilray and Canopy Growth had the Heather Scott's skyrocket in a time where we were in very much inflation. Tech companies are having to unload tens of thousands of workers. They're losing, you know, what Facebook or Meta has lost, what, $600 million year to year of their, or $600 billion, I think it is, in value. It's things like that. And for you, you said the words, fuck legal weed. So, I want you to, I want to open up the platform and just ask about where you're talking about there's this restrictive exclusionary regulations preventing entrepreneurs and the average citizen to be able to participate in the legal weed marketplace. You said this, quote, the legal weed industry is just another way for a select few to hoard all the profits and extract money from what was once a more equitable marketplace. Uh, I would love you for you to expand on that. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I'll start by saying uh, that we're based in Austin, Texas. We've been in Austin since 2004. Texas, as you know, is still uh, a highly uh, regulated and it, uh, cannabis is for 99% of the population still illegal in the state. Um, there are a few select medical cases. So I want to be clear that decriminalization and having access to a plant is not something I'm against. But as a position, 
the oligarchy that we are creating in what is legal weed, yeah, I, I would say fuck that. Like uh, totally against something that is just for these large multinational corporations to come in and not only hoard all the profits, but also cut all the small businesses out um, and then force consumers to buy a very inferior product. So, you know, you you put all that together, plus the the fact that they are intentionally leaving out all the folks that have been disproportionately harmed by the you know 50 plus year war on drugs um then i i don't see anything that we're heading towards in the the legal weed industry that is anything that that we'd be proud of well you know what with every industry that's out there something that also is, is always a good cause i mean i could have told you in 2016 when i first got to go to ncia's cannabis business summit by the way no uh, we support the ncia they have a show on our program we love our relationship with them. All I'm saying is I could tell when I was doing reporting out there in 2016 that, you know, the environment was changing that after prop 64, after, you know, various States started going online and a couple of minutes, a couple of years into the space where you see certain markets flourishing, you had to think that a matter of time, you started seeing the embedding of fortune 500 executives, C-level executives, those who were in CEO level or higher or, or similar levels, chief operations, they started making their way into the, into the space. PR companies coming in there. There were obviously people that wanted to make their way in and professionalize the industry, get rid of the stigma that's in here. And yeah, small business owners were going to take a hit. And right now the MSOs have expanded and they continue to expand because they're waiting for legalization to just be here in a matter of time. And once they do, you know, you can have the social equity licensing and the applicants going in that route and you can have Certain companies are out there. They're going to try to make it a little bit easier for the licensing fee not to hit so hard or to make it that it's not going to be so difficult for certain companies to have to go ahead and deal with coding with various structures or various things to get their grow off the ground. So, I mean, isn't it kind of like we would kind of expected this to happen anyway, and there's nobody really stopping it. I, I get where you're going. You're saying it's an inevitable inevitability. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, the thing that, um, is happening though, if you look at the state of Florida, for example, it's purposely being rigged so that no one else that, you know, the 90% of the market is owned by five players that are all owned by multi-state operators. There's no room for small business. There's no rooms for the, the continued innovation that comes from home growing. Uh, you know, again, the, the way that I, I want to buy weed, the way that I buy tomatoes, right? I, I've talked about this uh, elsewhere that, I want to be able to grow some in my backyard. It's not going to be the best ever, but you know what? I think it's really cool. And I like plucking the tomato and I can go and eat it. Um, I can buy some really quality tomatoes at the local farmer's market. And then I can go to the grocery store and get the Monsanto one if I wanted, or, you know, the one that's mass produced in California that may taste great. And it's a little cheaper and everybody can afford it. Well, right now, let me just bring up one point real quick. So I had yeah. an interview earlier today for the program that's also launching same day. Massachusetts owners. They have licensee and, and they're, they're working right now, especially in social equity in Massachusetts. You know what I talked to them about? I was like, you know what? So with the legal markets like this, you know, you can still get what you're asking for illicit because every market in the country, every state has an illicit market and pretty prominent. I mean, California, I remember going back to the New York Times, talking about 40% of what the market could get from California. And, you know, Gavin Newsom, the governor there. He wants to go ahead and, you know, he's not happy with a billion dollar tax revenue coming back. He wants more because he needs to go ahead and, you know, support the state. But what happens is this illicit market, you can go ahead and have the cops come out there and 4,000 different, you know, 
times they had to go out and shut down illicit grows, but the illicit market continues to flourish. So the thing is, the rebellion is still there. Like, you know, yep. does the market want to fix that problem or they just is it just a necessary, you know, evil? Well, and that's where you hit on a really good point because we're really not talking about uh, whether or not we're going to have a very large uh, legal cannabis space or not. It's how much of cannabis moves over to this legal recreational medicinal market versus stays in, in the traditional market. And I would say, I, you know, first and foremost, if we could deschedule and decriminalize, then I kind of don't have an issue with any of this stuff. Right. Uh, because you can continue to have your innovation that's happening. The the scary part, in my opinion, is when you're going to continue to criminalize that. And if you, you know, tr take the transition over to beer and alcohol, I know it's a very different thing, but still going to talk about the period pre-1978, 1979, when you allow people to start homebrewing, which eventually led to the craft brew, uh, you know, industries that we know now where most of the innovation in beer and even, you know, the, the future consolidation is all stuff that flows up from these micro brews, which then serve their local communities, which then get a little bit of distribution. And then they can decide, hey, I'll be a lifestyle business and I'll serve my community forever. Or I can sell up to the InBevs, the, you know, the cores, those guys. But you have to have that legislation that allows for that innovation to happen. And state by state, it's not necessarily happening. And so if you cut that part out, we've got a real serious problem because it's just saying we're going to continue to criminalize that activity forever. But also the point you're saying about these, you know, the, the scheduling and decriminalizing, because you know what, we don't want, we want the federal government to be involved in this. And, and like, if they're going to do oversight, fine, but you know, we don't need them to be intervening in here. They're not going to just spend millions and billions of dollars of money. We don't have just to continue to kind of throw money in the programs that, are going to get corrupted in the first place. There's always what's going to happen. But, you know, that's where we talk about social equity. And there was actually a story that you, uh, you were interviewed for by Authority Magazine and yep. on how diversity can increase the company's bottom line. Uh, so when you brought up what Grav does, or Grav, uh, yep. your consumer brand, thoughtful and intentional in our branding. And there have been times where you've had an idea for a campaign or design. wasn't until they went to the broader team for input to identify aspects that were culturally insensitive. But then when it comes to the end of the day, advertising campaigns have the same problem. And it's also because we're at this point of being a real, really sensitivity with everything out there. How did it, how did it get approved when a campaign comes out and then you hear a blowback from it and it's just a lack of diversity in the approval process. So for me, I think it's also the matter of that's where that, that whole, aspect of like okay if you need to go and do something that's going to be portrayed culturally insensitive i think it's almost because of what the message is trying to be put out or what the visuals what is going to be put out there that's not a traditional thing like it's not like we have commercials back in the 50s and 60s and 70s where songs were jingles and you know what you found a catchy tune something would come together you'd promote the product and boom but today you have to promote it a different way and do we need to keep going that route and having to go ahead and you know uh, stay on that tightrope and, you know, walk that line so narrowly without hurting somebody's feelings or affecting somebody and affecting your bottom line. What's the choice? Yeah, I mean, it's a, a fantastic point. At the end of the day, the cannabis space is, is drastically different from your traditional advertising channels in that we are coming off of and built upon 
you know, 50 years of a, of a war on drugs that has horribly criminalized, criminalized certain areas of our communities um, and continues to do so today, even as, you know, we're uh, starting to have these major companies, as you talked about, with, you know, big execs that are coming in, a lot of money is being made, but we still have people rotting in prison. We still have to think about when we're going to, you know, take over the name of some strain that maybe that strain comes from a neighborhood that is associated with uh, a community that you know we may or may not come from. We have to think about those things as we're putting that product out there because we are literally whitewashing an entire industry, right? It used to be that you buy from your your guy, you know, or gal in your neighborhood, and we know all the stats show white people bought from white people, black people bought from black people, Lat you know, Latino people bought from Latino people, which means your dollars are circulating in that community. But now, if we're going to take that, put it on our mark, and then put it out there to sell to the world, and we're some, you know. Grav, let alone some multinational corporations that's going to come in and reap all that profit out of there. I've got a real issue with that. But I'll tell um, you what, Brandon, one of the things that's a cause of that is because when we talk about device, you hear about the device on this. That word is so common now. But there was a time, I actually do a media podcast outside of this independent of the cannabis radio. And I talk about crossover culture. There was a point where you actually had, okay, if there was something that was targeted towards whites or blacks or Hispanics or Asians or what have you. That, you know what, it wasn't necessarily you had to go ahead and combine and integrate everybody. That there were just messages that would go across cultural norms. It would just cross over. But nobody wants to do that anymore. Why do you think that? Yeah, so um, a lot of it, uh, I, I think that there are ways that you can you can have messages that, that cross over, but it, it not, um, again, you need to know who you're talking to and what the purpose of that that advertising campaign is. But I, what I think, if you unpack all of this, and this is something that I would say makes Grav, you know, you, you brought up part of that article, but I think the other part that is really important to underscore that to me gets to the heart of the, the, the reason why uh, I'm saying fuck legal weed for this capitalistic kind of boom that's coming is all of it is driven by uh, you know, publicly traded companies, when we get to that point here, have a fiduciary responsibility to uh, return profits to their their investors. If you don't, as a director of that business, you can be sued by that business. Grav, on the other hand, we're completely self-funded. We are bootstrapped. 100% of our ownership is either current or former employees. There isn't anyone else who owns a dollar in our in our company. And the, most, but, and the best part is, too, is that you don't have anybody that you're being funded by so that if something happens and some parent company says you need to apologize for what happened, you don't. You can you don't have to be apologetic. You can be absolutely sensitive and you can be absolutely responsible and accountable for what you do, but it's your choice. Yeah, it's on our terms. And that's right. something that none of these larger companies, you know, you, if you go read some of their earnings reports, they're saying they're purposely trying to target areas where there isn't competition. They're they are purposely trying to build oligarchies. Um, you know, people where are states where the licensings are, are very restrictive and difficult to get. Um, that is, I understand it's capitalism and I run a business and we, you know, I, I'm not anti-capitalist by any means. Oh, no. Uh, and that's not what I'm trying to say. But I am saying that the the idea of thinking that these companies are going to do anything other than build the Monsanto of weed and give us the worst for or the product at the highest margins for them 
that is the only thing that we're marching towards. And everybody in the media is celebrating it as though we're doing a great job. And aren't we all excited? We've now crossed with this recent election over half of the country now that has access to legal weed. To me, that's all a load of crap. Like we're, we're singing praises of something that's actually bad for us. It was better. Yeah, but remember, we're talking about the media ago. that as a very, is a very, anything that's mainstream or anything that's very large corporate media owned, I I really have a trouble just to try to go and consume what they have without thinking there's just something underneath all of what they're trying to say. I don't, I, I just don't feel like anybody wants to report the news anymore, but that's another story. Now, sure. in your story with Authority Magazine, this is my a point about crossover culture. The messaging, the messaging is very important. You were a sound engineer and producer. You worked a half a decade in the music industry. And I can tell you, like, I mean, I have a listing on my Spotify playlist, Timeless Hits, I call it. And it's music, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. It's everything. And I can't tell you how many times I listen to music that might be soul music or novelty music from, like, say, Spain or Japan or whatever it might be. And how many times you would see songs or just whatever artists are out there and how songs used to cross over. The Billboard chart was a, is always the greatest metric to me, the Bible of music. And I would see what the Billboard Hot 100 would have. And how many times I would see a song that would be, okay, this song hit number one of the disco chart, the souls chart, you know, the country chart, whatever it is, and they crossed over. And it would hit the Hot 100, the mainstream chart, and it would chart. That means the entire public, through sales or whatever they're doing with their dollars, they're actually determining what is popular. And it's because it crossed lines. When I think about, uh, okay, look, I mean, for instance, uh, say Daryl Hall and John Oates. In the 80s, songs would hit... Of course, Hot 100, Top 5, whatever it is. Soul Charts, it would hit. Elton John, same thing. Uh, Gino Vanelli, same thing. That was what would happen. I mean, I'll, the best example to me is Soul Train, where they used to have white artists all the time and various artists out there. It wasn't just a show that was just about, it was about black culture, but it didn't stay within just black artists. Yeah, in music, though, unfortunately, when we think crossover, we usually think of the white artists who brought that music to mainstream, right? Like, that's usually how the initial, someone's got to introduce all the white folks to the music that black folks have been playing. But for then there have to be those white folks that listen to the music in the first place to try sure. to, you know, to bring it into the mainstream. Like, I don't like Pat Boone, and I don't like some of these other artists that purposely took those records and then made covers them to be popular of those. Yeah, you're right about that. But somehow, some way, the music had to get out there to the uh, to the atmosphere and somehow it worked. It w might not be the best way to go, but at least it crossed cultural boundaries. Yeah, and we have, people approach us all the time. So we're, you know, it's started as a, a, uh, a bong and pipe business, right? So smoking accessories, mm -hmm. we're in 4,500 stores across the States plus 26 countries. People approach us all the time thinking of this, but we have to be really cognizant because there's, there's not only the crossover stuff that you're talking about, but there's also age demographics. So like sure. we won't partner with a store that has mall locations as an example. Um, cause we know malls are primarily, you know, teenage hangouts. And that's an inappropriate way for us to get our brand out there. Now, there are others who are okay with that and they're going down that path. Um, but we've got to think through the, the various uh, cannabis, weeds, you know, whatever you want to refer to it is not a monolith. And I think instead of thinking through like who's going to speak to, you know, black culture, or Latino culture, or white culture, it's really who's, who's speaking to the folks that have been lifelong smokers, who are the connoisseurs, who are going to be chasing the latest trends, who's speaking to, you know, the, the, 
the parents in their 40s now who instead of having wine after the kids go to bed, they're smoking weed. Um, and we can kind of go through all the different demographics. Sure. Uh, there are companies out there saying they're specifically going after, I think they call them silver dabblers, right? So it's the people that are 55 plus who are just starting to rekindle their relationship with this plant that you know they left back in the 60s and 70s. I think that's what you're going to see. And then that crosses into, uh, you know, you can be uh, Latino and a newbie. You can be black and be a newbie to the, the cannabis space. It's not like, you know, if you are in said uh, ethnicity, then you've been smoking forever. Right. And that's the thing. So, like, for me, you know, I'm definitely going to talk about graph in just a second. But this is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just to close out at this point, it's just that I look at where there's a deterioration of integration where we can have some of that. Like there's obviously things that are made for certain markets, but there's also some of the things that will just transcend. The transcending's just stopped. For whatever reason, you know, the powers that be don't want to have that anymore, but it still happens anyway. Like I looked at a story about when it comes to TV shows, shows that were, you know, predominantly black audience, you know, for a predominantly black audience, but a white audience is very much a majority that watches. Black is just one of them. 50% of the audience is white. Or the Wonder Years, the new version of Wonder Years, things like that. Music, you still see it transcends and it goes across. And, you know, I still think of like shows like in any color, which that crowd, you know, it just like cloud all the boundaries. It just changed everything. I think Arsenio Hall, I think of like all these things, but it's like, you know, 90s was different. And it was so diverse, but it's like, well, we can't do anything like that now. No, we're actually, I feel like it's more of a separation. I don't know why that is, but, you know, there's a thing where it's a lot, a lot of things. We're just, I think if things weren't so much racial and it was more cultural, 
and culture was more important, that would be better for the messaging in general. I think that's the other thing too. When it comes to messaging, when it comes to all this, that people need to respect each other's cultures and where they come from as opposed to race. That's just me. Because I can't determine one person down here in South Florida. I can't just say somebody's black. We have Bahamian, we have Bahamians, Haitians, Jamaicans, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, Cubans, you know, everywhere, Africans, whatever, across the spot. You can't really just, it, it's one of those things where I see that and I want to be open to it. It's just, I don't know, it's crossover. That's what I think was always what was important. I would love for that to come back across everything. When it comes to, we have a crossover sector when it comes to those who are going to be in business. And then when it's crossover, when it comes to messaging. So that everybody's involved and it's not like you have to satisfy one audience to satisfy another. No, it's, you set, you, you target audiences, but then other audiences, they're just going to be a part of it. It's going to just, you're not going to just take some audience and keep them completely away because some people are just going to be involved in it. They're going to want to be engaged. That's what it is to me. So, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll push back on you a little bit. Sure. In that the, you know, I, I'll give you two things. One, being in Texas, the 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 weed culture in Texas still is very closely tied um, across different communities because we're all dealing with the criminalization still, right? So we live in, yeah. you know, my California friends, I'm like, hey, this is 1993 for us. Like we're still back. <laughs> they can't even imagine where we're living, right? Yeah. Um, and so you do have that. And when you find whether it's events or um, artists that come through mm -hmm. uh, that are bringing the community together, it does cross communities. Um, but we we have to, you know, take into consideration that the the not only ethnicity and race, but also socioeconomic status are having impact even in these states where there's legalization. And, uh, you know, I use this example of uh, the town of West Hollywood in Los Angeles as an example yeah. where the in the state of, of California, it's legal to purchase weed and it's legal to consume it in a private residence. But if you don't have your own private residence, it's actually still illegal for you to consume it. So you can walk in to your favorite dispensary or go to a MedMen or whatever it is that you want and you can buy it. But then as soon as you take it somewhere in a state that has, you know, pretty uh, strong squatters, rights, So it's really hard to evict people. This has now been the de facto way to evict them. You know, you find a way to blame the fact that they've been smoking cannabis and now you can evict them. Uh, and that is not spread out evenly, right? The white people in the Hollywood Hills are not dealing with that issue. No, that is but, primarily a poor or a black and brown issue. And the problem is we don't have a good answer, but all we can do is continue to talk about it. There's not yeah. much else we can do, but I like having conversations like this again, you know, it's, Let's go ahead and talk about Grav. We haven't had a chance to bring up anything. So obviously you have a lot of great products up here. Uh, fill your own glass joints. You have various joints, which I mean, I like the way they look at. You get the large Graviton, your fill your own grass, uh, glass joint, the joint mouthpiece. Uh, and various, also the Wobble Bubbler. Uh, take a minute to go and talk about the products here, you know, that, that uh, really just stand out. And, you know, along with the message of that, that you provide, you know, you're yeah. putting out great quality products. For us, everything, I mean, what we eat, sleep, breathe, and die by is the ritual of consuming cannabis. So that, you know, every person who's ever smoked weed, um, whether you've done it once or you do it 10 times a day, you think about what your rituals are. You know, is it is it in the car by yourself? Is it, you know, sitting around a coffee table with eight friends? We think about all those scenarios, and that's the products that we've built are based on 
all of those curating those those rituals and that experience of enjoying it with somebody else. So there's things like our pocket bubblers, which are really small, um, that are fantastic as a personal device. You know, they're great because you can put a, a, a bowl in it, you can smoke flour, you can put a banger on it, you can, uh, you know, it, uh, hit a dab. Um, and then there's products like our Empress, which I will call out that is, you know, a beautiful, large water water pipe that's just, you know, Micah Evans, our uh, lead designer, you know, he's got a, a bong in the Smithsonian, for God's sake. Um, you know, a true artist comes from the, the culture, like just thinking constantly about what are all the things that are going to delight you in that moment of the ritual. Um, and it's just continuing to evolve and kind of spread as you get more and more people there. So we're getting more needs for having something you can take on the go. You know, we wrap some things in silicone so that you can drop it because we're all a little clumsy. Um, but all of it is, is built around that ritual of consuming cannabis and providing products that people love in that ritual. Fantastic. So uh, the website is grav, G or grav, G R A V.com G R A V.com. And for those who want to get their hands on products, are they also available in stores? Yeah, we're in 4,500 stores. So any, you know, your local smoke shop, head shop, dispensary, uh, 4,500 stores across the States. And when you're traveling abroad, we're in 26 countries. So you can find us all over. All right. Thank you so much for being on with us. Brandon Miranda, uh, CEO of Graph. Thanks for being on with us. I, I'm glad we got to go into the little debate stage on here today, and it was good. Uh, you know, let's definitely open the door and see if we can have you come on back. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.